0: Welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and the producer of this podcast, Sarah Torri. In this episode, I spoke with Alard Bowser about his responsibilities as the CTO at Axonic. Alard shared how he balances his time between software development and research and his other activities in this role. We also discussed new projects at Axonic and what his thoughts are on open source community and where it's heading. And we wrapped up the conversation by Allard's views and advice on other entrepreneurs hoping to work in the field of technology and software development. I hope you enjoy this episode and let's have a listen. Hi Allard, thank you for joining me. Today I have some different questions for you. I want to talk about your responsibilities as the CTO of Axonic. We did have a question a while ago about the background of Axonic and why you started the company and so on. Um, But now I want to ask a bit more uh, specific questions about your role here at our company. So with that said, in non-technical words, I know that's not an easy one for you because you like being included in the technical world of things, um, what would you say is the problem that Axonic is trying to solve?
1: Yeah, and you asked the CTO. You do, you do know that the T is for techno, uh, technos- technology. Yes, that's why I said
0: word. it's hard for you not to. <laughs> yes.
1: But so um, the, the, the problem that we are solving is related to the complexity of software. And if you, if you realize that in the past, well, several decades, but especially in the last two decades, the role of software has immensely changed within businesses, right? It has changed from being a, um, well, a thing on the side, and oh yes, you can use a bit of software to help the uh, human process to, uh, to make it slightly more efficient to where now the uh, software is taking over of how the business is run. So the the demands on that software are growing a lot uh, the demands of our users are are uh, growing a lot uh, they become much more uh, well demanding of, of what uh, they expect of businesses etc and in the meantime because we are doing more software in these businesses the software the, the problem that we're solving is also more complex right. so we've got a complex environment where we're building the software we've got complex demands or demands that make, that add to that complexity of software. And, um, and what we are doing until a few decades ago, the architectural styles that we're using, we haven't changed that much, uh, on them. So we're using simple solutions to solve really complex problems and the, uh, well, that doesn't quite work. Um,
0: yeah.
1: so the, um, the thing that we are doing is essentially changing the mindset of how software needs to be built. And, and what we do is an event-driven approach, which is, mm-hmm. my apologies, a technical term. Um, <laughs> however, the, um, we, we, we align the solution to how the business is actually run. And that way, the software becomes easier to understand, easier to mm-hmm. maintain, and also very scalable and, uh, and powerful.
0: Fantastic. So a lot of complexity, but we're trying to at least take some of that complexity away and offer solutions to make architects and developers' lives easier. Fantastic. Now, as a CTO at Axonic, what would you say is or are your main roles? And how do you then balance this desire because i know you have a very great desire to develop um with the kind of research that you need to um, help resolve these complexities and these issues that we're trying to solve
1: yeah it's it's indeed very difficult to answer this question because um what what is this thing i do as a cto and what is it that i do as a passionate idiot for event-driven software And what is it that I do as a founder, Um, because Mm -hmm. there are some responsibilities you simply have because you're a founder of a company as well. Um, But the way um, the way I see it, I I focus on the things that are about the technology that we provide. So uh, our product is also technology. So that's Mm -hmm. that's that falls under my uh, my responsibility. Um, and, and basically, all the rest that has to do with administration, I leave that as much as I can to to others. So we have uh, that's why we have a CEO uh, to take <laughs> care of the things that I don't like to focus on. Yeah. Um, so I, I like to to focus on on technology, and that is uh, what what are we building? Why are we building it? And and how should we build it? Right? Those are mm-hmm. the, the questions that I try to answer, and it actually takes a lot of communication uh, much more communication with other humans than actually, uh, computers
0: systems. Yeah, uh, And
1: that's, yeah, that's not even because, um, I'm, I'm, we have other people that are building the solution, but it's just because to know what you need to build, you need to talk to a lot of people and ask them a lot of questions. And it's, it's very easy to make assumptions on, Hey, this is, uh, this product is going to, to make everybody's life easier. Um, well it might, and it might be completely unsuccessful because you need to build it in a way that the other people feel it makes their life easier, uh, which is a very difficult one. So finding that balance is, um, um, is, is basically what I'm, what I'm trying to do all the time, which is what I, what I really love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And the other part of your question was how do I balance, uh, software development <laughs> and research? Uh, I don't, um, <laughs> Well, I think uh, a lot of it is overlapping,
0: right? Because you have to communicate to find out this information, which is part of the research. And then you have to then bring in that uh, communication into our products, which is bringing me to the next question, um, which is what is the latest product that we are working on right now? And what is that specific product trying to solve?
1: There's a there's a couple of uh, products that we're uh, we're working on, but a uh, one that I would really like to highlight, which is in the um, a little bit related to the introduction I gave about what is the problem we're trying to solve, mm-hmm. is called Axon Synapse. Yep. And right now <clears throat> we are uh, so we've built a, a framework and uh, a, a messaging platform to uh, to, to help uh, developers and architects build these uh, uh, complex systems. The disadvantage, especially of a framework, is you cannot really fit it into an existing, um, an existing process or an existing system, right? It has to be uh, somewhat of uh, at least a new component that you're building that you can build with this new uh, paradigm. And we've been thinking about how do we get more existing ecosystems and also different programming languages because our framework is bound to Java, the Java mm-hmm. programming language. But there's also um, um, in in Amazon, you have these lambdas and you have uh, Google Cloud Functions. And there's all these new processes that are coming. But we also have existing systems. And how can we easily uh, connect these existing systems or different programming paradigms with each other and get similar benefits as you would have with the framework? Now, it's not possible to, to get all the advantages exactly in the same way, but... The more we can um, uh, provide, the better the, these uh, advantages uh, are that we can provide to them. Um, well, the better it is, I guess. Um, so that's what uh, what Synapse is going uh, is is, uh, is going to uh, to address. Right now, it's really in a uh, in it's in the beta phase, but we're already getting some uh, some exciting feedback. and uh, And as we explore new possibilities you find out there's more possibilities and you can start exploring <laughs> those, which brings yeah. me back to the previous question of, you know, how do you balance, how
0: do you balance it? Uh, yeah, research exactly.
1: and, and development. It's, it's, um, the thing that we do, um, is, is both at the same time. Uh, and every time we do something, and, and this is maybe a bit of, uh, advice to whoever listens is when you're building something, um, it's better to release often and get small groups of people, to start working with it, because they're the ones that are going to give you the feedback, and they are looking mm-hmm. at things differently. They have a different problem to solve, um, and if your solution does not help them solve their problem uh, the way they want it to be solved, they're not going to use it. And I'm, I, I actually speak to founders quite, a, quite a lot. So in these uh, different ecosystems that I'm in, and sometimes they are, they're really they're working on something secret, right? and they can't mm-hmm. tell anyone. I'm like, if it's a secret, you have no business. Yeah. Um, because you can't sell anything. Because you can get the feedback. You know, yeah, how do you yeah. get the feedback? But you need a, to tell a customer what they're buying. Otherwise, they're not going to buy it, right? right? And Of course, there's some some details that you don't want to, that you consider trade secrets. But if the actual business case that you're working on is a secret, then I wonder if you should really start in the first place.
0: <laughs> right. You have to find a non-secretive part of it, to, I guess, start talking about it. And get yeah, feedback, something. right? Am, am exactly. I doing
1: something that makes sense? And would you, and maybe I'm not the target audience, that's fine, but yeah. you should identify your target audience and at least uh, start discussions with them. And it's in no way a guarantee because we did that at the very beginning of Exonic, um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's not at all a guarantee. Uh, the first few customers said they wanted specific features and um, well, they said they wanted it, but it's not what they needed. So always be yeah. very careful on how you interpret those answers as well.
0: Yeah, kind of goes back to the, the question of the value. What is the value to your business and to your customers? Exactly. Um, so, you did talk about our uh, first product, which was the framework, right? Axon Framework that was built in Java and a uh, uh, really fantastic product. And also, after that, we uh, started working on the messaging platform and also the event store, which is then the uh, Axon Server. Now, both of them. Axon Server has an open source version and Axon Framework is just an open source product. With that said, since you are very involved in and you wanted to create open sourced products, where do you th- see the future of open source? Where do you think it's heading?
1: Um, that's a, I don't have a glass ball, so everything I say <laughs> is just uh, my uh, maybe a little bit of hope combined with uh, reality and expectation. Um, but what I'm what I'm seeing is that um, in the very early days, open source was just something that um, passionate idiots, myself included, mm-hmm. would just build and uh, and put on the world. And they they would meet other passionate idiots of uh, mm-hmm. idiot in a positive sense here. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. To uh, to share ideas and to improve things. And it, the, the beauty of it is that it makes software really accessible. Um, so you, um, you, can, you can use the software relatively freely, depending on uh, what the exact license is, but you can see the source code, you can see how it's built. So it's also a very educational uh, process. And I've learned okay. a lot from building open source software. I think in the, in the time that I've built open source software, I've learned more than building the closed source software. <clears throat> because again, it forces you to talk to people, maybe through code and to yeah. people you don't know, and you get feedback and you learn. However, and it also
0: forces you to write something readable, right? <laughs> and understandable. <laughs> oh yeah, like, uh, code That's understand right? a
1: completely different <laughs> uh, uh, metric, right? Uh, because yes. if you build something really ugly, everybody's going to see it. So people pay, yeah. start paying attention to quality, which mm-hmm. is, um, most of the open source software is of really good quality because of that, because it's open yeah. and everybody can see you wrote something
0: Yeah. yeah. now.
1: The the problem with that is that it's not sustainable um, mm-hmm. because a, um, a typically uh, really passionate people have extra time on their hands to do something, and then things happen in life that change how you can spend your time, right? Um, and it it puts it can put a lot of stress on people, and also a lot of these open source projects start as uh, start as experiments, right? And yeah. how long are you willing to experiment with that? Um, yeah. So um, Axon Framework started as an experiment for me. And, and fortunately, I was passionate enough and things started moving fast enough so that I noticed, hey, there's something, um, there's something valuable. And there's this, uh, it literally got me around the world to speak at conferences, which is, mm-hmm. which is what I really enjoy doing. So it allowed me to create this, uh, this brand. But the movement I see is that open source becomes much more corporate these days. So organizations mm-hmm. are now also using open source as a way to reach a market mm-hmm. and basically it happens in two ways uh the good way and the bad way i guess yeah uh, but the good way is hey this is you know um something we as an organization are passionate about and we want to share that with the world and it's really the uh almost the samaritan way of, of open source uh, software right we we mm-hmm. give that um basically the way we treat axon framework we want people to be able to use the framework Obviously, we want to make uh, a dollar or two on it as well, but we're not making that on the framework. We're making that on an enterprise version and support and things like that. So Mm -hmm. we're not changing in the way the software is accessible. But we also see uh, open source as a way of organizations to dump the burden of needing to maintain something on the community and just saying, hey, it's now open source and good luck with it. We're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. That is not very, uh, not a very productive way, and I feel that is um, sometimes open source abuse is abused as a dumping ground for uh, uh, projects, uh, corporate projects that have gone too old. Um, and I, I really hope that uh, the um, let's say more sustainable approach of, of finding a way to balance people that are passionate about sharing their software, but as soon as it's being used in a commercial way to drive value for businesses, that these businesses also realize that they have a responsibility to give back
0: in, yes, in one way
1: right. or another. And that giving back is is very important and it doesn't need, uh, need to be payment. It could be all sorts of different, uh, different ways. Hire, if it was a, a one man show or one woman show to build this software, just hire that person for to, to consult or to fix problems. I, I too often see these requests of, hey, we are a big corporate XYZ and we are using your software and it is really important that we get this particular issue fixed really right now. And it's your <laughs> responsibility to make it happen because you built it. Uh, yeah. No, it's not, right? And we really need no. to get back to a more sustainable approach and organizations mm-hmm. and individuals within large organizations Need to recognize their uh, their responsibility there. So, depending on whether we can do that, I see a really bright future for uh, for open source software, where it becomes really um, um, you know about people showing um, initiative of of improving the community as a whole. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we can uh, we can then really uh, improve a lot in our in our industry.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you did uh, mention a couple of things that um, I'd like to touch on a bit more one was the um the fact that uh you have been able to basically take this passion of yours and go around the world and speak at conferences and share it with everybody else so um with that said has that helped you um in this current uh role of the the cto and the founder founder of uh as basically a software company uh and also you mentioned uh that you have of course learned a lot from your experience and you did share an advice which was you know get the feedback that uh, that is needed and uh, don't base everything on one feedback just kind of examine trial and error and sort of move forward what would you say then for somebody who is planning on possibly trying out this uh, this whole thing of entrepreneurship in the field of software and uh, IT, which is extremely competitive. What would you say to them? And what is your advice? Because it's not an easy thing to do. Uh,
1: in relating, uh, relating to public speaking. I, I, uh, that I and also,
0: yeah, what general. kind of advice yeah. you have in general. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in, in general, first, I guess, then is um, you need a lot of different traits in... Uh, in the management of any um, any startup. And I don't think that anyone individually will have them all. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look at good entrepreneurs, a a really good entrepreneur is able to find people that complement him or her and Mm -hmm. and get them around you, Um, because there's no way you're going to do it on your own. Um, I see a lot of uh, organizations being founded by two techies, for example, and they're both introverts uh techies um, well that's not a good mix right we need a mix yeah. of everything and um, right. and being extrovert and trust me i'm not um, but being extrovert <laughs> you're not i'm shocking. not I've, <laughs> okay. i um i've learned certain uh, things so If yeah, you I, um, I i still remember very well and, and, and very exact what my first speaking <laughs> Um, uh, engagement was like at a at a large conference Uh, and I was I was extremely nervous and it was a complete Mm -hmm. disaster from my point (laughs) of view so after it I was really happy it was over Mm -hmm. and then um, there's the uh, there was the hallway and you start walking around the hallway and people start approaching you and say hey I saw your talk and it was it was great and I had this question and and, and the funny thing is that the feedback you get in the hallway is always biased because people that don't, didn't like your talk, they will not approach you. They'll just walk yeah. on and do something else. So you mm-hmm. get a lot of positive feedback. And then you do realize that, okay, maybe out of a few hundred people, I've spoken to a few in the hallway, but still you're making an impact on people's, uh, on people's lives or um, right. their, their job. And that for me was a motivation. So, hey, I'm, maybe I should try it again. So I tried mm-hmm. and I started to try it again. And then I noticed I was doing more and more meetups because of the, uh, the framework that I was building. I was invited to come talk at meetups and uh, slowly our audiences become bigger and bigger. Uh, and then somebody um, uh, on the other side of the planet asks you to come over at a conference to have a talk there. Right? And that's where I realized, hey, I need to, to get this public speaker. I need to get more comfortable on stage because I was, uh, people didn't see my, my nerves, but I felt them and I, I had this feeling that they were in my way of, of improving. Mm-hmm. So I went to a public speaking uh, training and this was the kind of training that um, uh, people would also follow, that uh, TV presenters, for example, would, would right. also follow. And uh, one person in my, in my training class, he had to uh, he was uh, a construction engineer, and he was basically the head of a, a very big uh, tunnel project in the Netherlands. And he said, yeah, the, okay. the king and queen are coming over to you know, cut the ribbon. And he had to do a speech. So he was like, OK, I, I better feel at ease, right? And it's, so yeah. people, some people speak at large events um, and some at smaller events. But the ideas are the same. It's about feeling comfortable on stage. And there's a few very simple tips and tricks you just need to practice them with a very good uh, teacher. So, um, in my case, it was only a few days spread across uh, a month time, and yeah. it, it was really helpful just to, to uh, tricks to become more uh, to become more um, at ease on, on a stage. And I
0: think it's it's not only helpful when you're doing uh, stage speaking, basically, or presentation at larger conferences or meetups. But I would imagine it would also help you um, when you are talking to investors, for example, or if when you're um, talking to um, customers as well, because you have to carry that level of com- uh, confidence with you, confidence with you rather, to, to be able to really engage and get your point across.
1: Yeah. So the, the funny thing is that when you do this public speaking training, it's, it's, so it's not a, about uh, how you build the story, right? It's more how you yeah. present yourself and how you talk. And the thing is that it's basically an acting school, <laughs> right. um, so it, it's just a very short uh, version of an acting school, and you start acting. And and yes, that is actually useful in any conversation. You learn mm-hmm. how you can uh, emphasize certain concepts, right. or make sure that you can say something and have people forget it immediately. <laughs> um, and it's, um, there, there's a few tricks and I, I don't always apply them in hindsight. I'm always mm-hmm. looking at my own presentations, not literally because I really can't stand it. But <laughs> I yeah, uh, I think, oh, I should have done this or I didn't do that properly. And so it's always an improvement, but um, mm-hmm. no, it's, uh, and, it, and it makes it more fun. You you get more at, e- when you're at ease on stage, mm-hmm. it makes it more fun. So at some time I, I, um, I started to do an experiment at a conference where I knew that People were were pretty open minded, and I thought, you know, I'm going to do this more as a play on on stage rather than a boring, um, you know, here's my introduction, here's my agenda, and let's go to one topic at a time kind of talk. Um, I started to do this story and and have, have some fun, um, and at the end of the conference, as a, a, a conference, I was voted as one of the top three talks of the of the conference. So. People nice. appreciate that, right? They, they yeah. like to be entertained when they go to, to a conference. And of course. if you combine that with the um, um, getting a good presentation and making sure that your story sticks, people will, will remember a fun talk much easier than, mm-hmm. um, um, than a boring talk. Um, and, and regardless when you're talking at a conference or talking to an investor, one thing is you want them to remember your story and make sure you are top of mind. Right, yeah, you want exactly. them to to remember you. Otherwise, you want to
0: make an impression.
1: You're just one exactly. of the many, and and I I've learned one thing from investors is they have to talk to a lot of people. Uh, right. For every investment they make, they've seen a thousand companies you know, come by. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, that's uh, you you want them to re- to remember you. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And what would you say your final advice for founders and entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, so there's one thing that we, we decided on when we started the company is, um, and it's, it's a bit of a, um, it, it's a word that is used quite a lot these days, but we have a slightly different meaning to it than uh, it usually has, which is diversity. And with diversity, we do not mean uh, men versus women or uh, old versus young or whatsoever. It really means everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means getting people in your company that do not share the exact same values or uh, experiences as you do. Because if you only have 20 of you in a company, you might as well uh, might as might as well do it on your own, right Yeah um, you can get more of your work done, but what about all the other stuff? So sometimes it's it's good to have somebody with uh, just a different point of view. I always joke that to see, things in, to see things in three dimensions, you need at least two points of view.
0: Right.
1: Right? That's why our eyes are a few centimeters apart because it allows mm-hmm. us to then see 3D. Um, and, and it's the same in, in business. And when you build a company with your best friend, that might not be the best business partner because of that reason, because you're probably Very already way yeah. too aligned. You right? <laughs> right. have to be able to disagree and come up with a compromise. And I've I've got mm-hmm. a, quite a few people I I often, I often disagree with around me, yeah. um, and it helps because it makes you realize that your point of view is not the only one. Uh, and in right. the end, you know, your your customer or your future customer will not share your point of view either. So, I would say yeah. if there's one piece of advice I would give is gather people around you that share a that have a different point of view. Do share the same goal, obviously. Otherwise, nice. uh, there's going to be conflicts. But uh, <laughs> right, that way you'll you'll have a much uh, much deeper experience.
0: Makes sense. Well, thank you so much for all the knowledge sharing and uh, advice, and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Talk to you later.
1: Bye bye.
0: I hope you liked my talk with Allard. Please join me next time for other amazing conversations with wonderful guests. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.